Hey guys, welcome to an episode of Both Sides of the Fence, where myself, Daniel Beadle, and my co-host, the great Kevin Buchanan, give you two perspectives of what it's like to work in real estate. I'm a buyer's agent and Kevin is a selling agent. And today we're joined with the great, the Flamingo, Jack Henderson from Henderson Advocacy. Welcome. Fluttering around here in Paddington at the moment. Good to be here. Mate. Mate, talk to us. How's your day? How's your week? How was your morning? Mate, mornings are good. Um, September, I'm doing a, a new new morning routine, actually, where it's 4.30 a.m. wake up, read for 20 minutes until 5, um, and then, you know, get into training from 5 till 6. And mate, in the office by 7, taking that wake up time back, back to... Uh, Back to 4.30 from 5 o'clock, so I wasn't very good at getting up at 5. It was, it was a struggle. <laughs> so, mate, you, you said you're reading at the moment. What, what, what type of books do you, do you read? Is it magazines, actual books? What type of – what are you reading? Mate, at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm reading Principles by Ray Dalio, who um, is the founder of Bridgewater Associates, which is one of the largest hedge funds in the world, or what is the largest hedge fund in the world. Um, and, mate, it's, it's always something different. It's always generally – something around business or, or personal development or, or someone's story. Um, but yeah, mate, at the moment, it's a big book principles too. So it's taking me uh, a little bit of time. Mate, super, super interesting book, how, uh, how we run that business and the, the principles that they had around making decisions and, um, and the culture they had inside of the firm. It's, it's super inspiring. Sure. Mate, um, I, I'm really interested to dig in in what you guys are seeing out there in the marketplace as buyers agents. Obviously, we've had pretty low stock levels, which is driving some big offers. How are you guys finding the market on the buyers buyers agent side? Um, mate, yeah, I mean, similar to everyone, right? It's super competitive mm. and and it's not cheap. You know, like mm. it was cheaper yesterday than it is today. That's the reality of the marketplace. And obviously in a trending a market that is trending upwards, um, mm. you know, every single property that sells then sets the precedence for the next one of similar nature. Right. So literally mm. that, you know, it is cheaper yesterday than it is today. So the property that sold yesterday is going to be cheaper than the one that sells tomorrow of similar nature. Um, mm. But mate, you know, we bought a, we bought a two bedroom apartment in, uh, in Bondi on, uh, day before yesterday, um, mate, that guy paid a million and eighty for it in two thousand and nineteen. He, he bought well at the time, but mate, we just paid one point six for it. So it's you know fifty fifty percent mm. growth in in you know two years, and he didn't do a thing to the apartment, or, or but yeah, the vendor didn't do a thing to it. So mate, it's that it's been incredible growth, but you know unless you're betting against the marketplace, then you know, you'd be silly to, to not buy in, right? Like if, if mm. you're buying for the next one to two years, then sure, maybe it's not worth buying. But if you're buying for the next 5, 5 10, 15, 20 years, then I, know I can yeah. I can almost bet my life it's going to be more expensive next year than it is this year. Yeah. Oh, out of curiosity, obviously when the market heats up, it, it makes my job as a real estate agent a lot easier. Um, how does that affect your guys' role? Does it become harder? Um, not really, mate. Like, you know... The, the thing that we have to, to be better at and, 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 you know, always be on top of is the, is the conditioning of clients and the positioning of clients, right? Because um, it's not hard to buy a property if you've got the budget to be able to buy it. Where the, the thing buyers generally struggle with is that 
they haven't got the budget to buy the property that they want to buy. So they struggle, right? Where if they were looking mm. at things they can afford, they absolutely can buy it because they have the budget to afford it. So um, we just have to be more on top of that. Um, and, you know, you have to have some tough conversations, but the reality is there's still property to buy. And, and if someone has a compelling reason to do so, then, you know, we, we've, we've got a service and a strategy that, that yields results. Um, but mate, yeah, I think one of the biggest reasons buyers struggle, regardless of any market that they're in, is because their expectations don't align with where the market is. Um, mm. And it doesn't doesn't matter how much money you've got. You know, you can be spending a million bucks on a property, or you can be spending twenty five million dollars on a property. Um, very rarely do you get everything that you want in a property. Um, so it's understanding what your non negotiables are and um, the areas that you are flexible in, and. Um, you know, just being real with yourself. That, that's that's one of the biggest things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I guess in answer, mate, it was a long-winded, long-winded answer, but in answer, like, no, it, it doesn't really make yeah. our job job tougher, right? Like, yeah. as, a, as a business, you know, there's never a perfect storm. It's either really easy to, to sign new clients and bring new clients on board mm-hmm. and, you know, a little bit harder to buy or it's the reverse and it's, <clears throat> and it's um, really easy to buy and obviously harder mm-hmm. to to sign new business. So mate, at the moment, it's super easy to win new business and a little bit tougher to buy. Cool. Good answer. Mate, um, I've obviously seen what type of success you've done from the outside looking in and you've exploded over a very, very short time frame. What do you, what do you attribute the main contributors to that have led to that meteoric success? <laughs> it's funny. It's, it doesn't feel like that from, from where I'm sitting, you know, like, always looks better from the outside than what it feels mm. you know sitting in it but man like the the reality is i've been i've been working at this property thing since i was like 17 years old you know like i i, I bought my first property at 18 and ever since then i've been doing podcasts and i've been doing research and i've been getting my name out there um and you know i was in a completely different industry i was in the mining industry so mm. when i did the when i did the transition across from you know construction and mining to to the buyers agency space um, at the end of 2019, I already had a bit of a brand and people already sort of knew who I was. Like I was quite strategic, you know, I was the areas where I work, I was adding all the real estate agents on Facebook. I was commenting on all their posts. I, you know, the mortgage broker that I was using at the time, um, who, you know, was doing all my personal loans was also quite connected, um, in that sort of Eastern suburbs, North shore real estate scene. And again, you know, having a relationship with him also opened up doors and mate, when I jumped in, I already had momentum and, you know, obviously momentum builds momentum and um, you work hard and you, 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 I'm quite prolific on social media and I'm always, you know, putting my name out there. So mate, it's, it just sort of happened. Like, I think, I think the biggest thing is just consistency over time, right? I've been mean, doing the social, the social thing and, and, you know, podcasts and interviews and all of this sort of stuff for, for five or six years now. Um, and even if one or two people, you know, find out about you off each podcast, and the reality is there's a lot more than that, but one or two people, each podcast you do, they now know you and they tell their friends about you and, man, it just compounds, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, Jack, did you have, starting out at 17, did you know what it is you were going to do? Like, did you have a plan in place or, like, walk me through that process, like how – what sparked this interest and what sparked that progression? Um, look, I never, I didn't, I wasn't as clear as I am right now, obviously. Um, I knew I had a passion for, for real estate. Um, and that was, that, that come from when, 
we were sort of selling the family home and upgrading into to acreage where I grew up. Like I just had this huge passion for real estate. And I was always looking at properties online. I had no idea what things were worth. And, you know, we had obviously a budget mum and dad were spending and I'd send them things that double the budget. And <laughs> didn't really understand the value of property. Um, but, you know, that's where it sort of sparked. I just loved, I, I loved property. And, and, and I, I originally really loved the architecture side of things. Like I love beautiful design and, you know, inspiring homes. Um, and then from there, once I sort of got booted out of school, um, you know, I, I, I needed to do something that was going to make me an income and, and I guess give me a head start in life that a normal salary wouldn't do. And that's where the investing, um, I guess, passion come from. And then, mate, from there, yeah, it just, it's really just snowballed. And then as you get better at something and, and more successful in quotation marks at something, um, you know, your eyes start to open up to, to the realities. And, and I'm, I'm a lot clearer right now at 25 than I was at 17 as to, you know, where I want to be. Um, but I always knew I wanted to be successful and, and I always did things in a way Um Actually, no, when I was younger, I just wanted to be rich. That was the thing. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to have all this stuff. That, that was, <laughs> but that sort of changes over time. Um, but, man, it's, yeah, it's, it's really developed and, and, and it's going to keep developing, I feel like. You know, what I want to do right now may change in five to ten years' time once I get to that point in, in my life. Um, it's just sticking with something as well, right? Like, mm. you, can't, you can't be good at something and build a brand overnight. It was just sticking it out day in, day out. And mate, over time, it'll, uh, it'll slowly happen. So did you have mentors along the way, Jack? Like, tell me how you started to really grow and push yourself. Because it's, you know, when you look at, not to compare to the rest of the population, but, you know, it's quite a, a difference in habits, what you've managed to, to create. And, and obviously being at, at your age and have gone through that process of being so strategic and building a brand, developing your property knowledge did you have help along the way like can you share that process of how you developed yourself as a person for sure man um yeah i've i've had quite a few mentors like property specific i had chris gray who was like my my mentor through my sort of early investing journey um and i didn't just learn property from him i learned you know, how to have an incredible lifestyle, how to do things in a way where it's a lot more affordable than people think it is, like from a lifestyle perspective. Um, and, mate, I've had virtual mentors as well, right? Like, you know, we, we live in a world now where we've got access to so much content and, and so many people with a click of a button, you know, like YouTube and podcasts and all the rest of it. So, you know, you can listen to 20 or 30 episodes of a podcast of this individual, like on different podcasts. And, you virtually think you know them as a person, right? Because you've heard so much about them and what yeah. they've done. And um, I, I, I obsess over over different people, you know. Earlier in the year, it was Richard Brands and I was obsessed with him. And, um, you know, Ray Dalio now and years ago was... Uh, it's, it's always changing, right? So it's learning from people indirectly who you may not know. And then, you know, through Chris, um, I met a huge network of people through the entrepreneurs organization, which is a global organization of entrepreneurs. So they weren't specifically related to property, but they were, they had all different um, backgrounds in business. Um, and, and now some of my closest friends are, are from EO and that's from obviously meeting Chris initially, but mate, like, it, it's just, it's, it's a combination of everything, right? Like at the, at the time I was doing it, it was somewhat strategic in a way, like as you start, 
you know, as I met Chris and met more people, you start to think, fuck, you know, this is awesome. I'm starting to meet more and more people. And then you start to be um, more conscious in doing it. Um, but initially it was just like, fuck, this guy's cool. He drives a Lamborghini. He's got a sick boat. He's got a man. You know, I was like, I want to hang out with this guy. Um, yeah, so, mate, it's, it's a combination of, I guess, real life mentors and then also, um, you know, digital learning. And that's still still the same today. Like I've got some incredible people in my corner, but I still learn so much from people I have no idea who they are. I've never met them before in my life. Um, but I just watch a lot of YouTube and, and listen to a lot of podcasts and all the rest of it. When do you listen to these podcasts and YouTube and stuff? Because I know you're reading in the morning. Where does all the other learning take place? Mate, every night I watch a video. Like I don't own a TV at all, so I don't watch any mainstream media or anything like that. Um, so Mate, every, he, you know, he literally does not own a TV in his house. Like you go in, and <laughs> it's, it's it's just a table and a, a couch. That's next level. Fuck, it's poison, mate. It's poison. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I get home at whatever time, seven thirty or something like that. Usually, um, bit of dinner, and then you've usually got an hour or so that I can watch an interview or watch a keynote talk or, you know, listen to a podcast. I, I do a lot of driving as well, so. You know, if I'm driving between, say, Sydney and Newcastle, um, I don't listen to the radio. I don't think I've ever turned the radio on in my car. It's always a podcast. Um, mm. So, mate, there's plenty of, like, there's, there's, there's so much time in a day that generally gets wasted. Um, mm. So, if I'm not, I'm not on the phone, then I'm generally listening to something that will uh, grow the knowledge base. And then weekends and shit like that, right? Like, you know, a lot of time you think about what you do on a Sunday. People watch Netflix and fucking all that bullshit. Like, I never watch that stuff ever yeah and I, I remember having a chat with you a couple of weeks ago you mentioned that you just um you, you're doing a whole year sober which is amazing tell me what's what what are the things that you've learned over the past well this year yeah i mean it's a good question the the sobriety thing it um was really for two reasons one because you know i I'm someone who talks a pretty big game. Like, you know, I say I'm going to do all of these things and achieve all of this greatness and all the rest of it. But then you, I was looking at my actions and they weren't really reflecting what I was saying. Mm. So I was like, you know, you're sort of bullshitting not only to yourself, but to everyone else. Um, and mate, I was making stupid decisions when I, when I got on the piss, like, you know, it just you're not in control and it's fun and all the rest of it, but you just make dumb decisions that, you know, if they were to continue, you were going to get yourself into a lot of trouble and, and, it just doesn't bring much good to your life. Um, so, mate, myself and, and Sam, we uh, we made a decision, mate, just to go sober for a year. Cool. And that has been life-changing. Plus, you know, a mutual coach in Daniel and I's, uh, Jeff Jowett, he's someone who's three or four years sober and, mate, he, you know, harped on about how life-changing it was. So I wanted to see what it was like. And it was a coach, the, the, the catalyst when I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm doing this, was I... Um, had a coaching session with him at the end of uh, 20, what you, 2020. Um, and we were sort of preparing for the um, this year, like the next year and, and what we wanted to do and goals and all the rest of it. And I just, you know, I questioned, I said, mate, like what, what's, what's an advantage over, over everyone else? Like what's something that, you know, can give us that 10% more than, than anyone else has got. And he said, mate, if you want the biggest, life hacking advantage in the world it's just going sober <clears throat> and the and, and the reasoning behind it it's so true is because 90 percent of people i would say you know thereabouts in the in the areas that i work 
get on the piss on the weekends and, and all the other stuff that comes with that, right? So the reality is they, they're drinking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're not working at 100%. Maybe Wednesday, Thursday, they're starting to feel a bit better. Friday comes around and they're, you know, they're, they're back on it. So you can be half as talented as those people but work at your full potential or even 80% of your potential seven, six or seven days a week. And over time, you will be better than them because they're going through the peaks and the troughs. And mate, I was a culprit of that. I was doing it. So I, I completely mm. understood it. Um, and mate, like the, the proof's in the pudding this year. Like the amount mm. of growth we had in the business, the, the amount of personal growth, like fitness, mindset, like mate, it's just, it's next level. And sure, you know, it's an attribute of that. That's, that's, that's the marketplace that we're in right now. I'm, I'm definitely conscious to that. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a huge aspect of being clear-headed and, and um, energetic every day. Were you a big drinker before this? Not a daily drinker, but, mate, like 24-year-old yeah. kid who earns pretty good coin, you know, it's pretty easy to bend her on the <laughs> weekends. I'm, I'm a realist, yeah. right? Like that's... <laughs> Like it, there's people who can say that they don't do it, but um, <laughs> you know, I live. We live in the eastern suburbs. It's an incredible lifestyle. There's pubs and bars and shit everywhere, um, and mate, it's very easy to have a successful week and get to Friday, and all of a sudden Tuesday comes around. And you go, "Fuck, where'd that time go?" You know, it's like. Um, so like, I wasn't a big drinker. Like I don't drink in, on a day. I don't get home and crack a beer. Yeah. Um, but mate, yeah, when I drink, I. I go pretty hard, absolutely. <laughs> so what, what happens next year? Are you going to tame it back and drink less or is it what's yeah. kind of your So it's, it's completely changed my relationship with alcohol for sure. Yeah. Mate, and at the same time, like there's still definitely days where you're like, oh, mate, I would love to just have a big night with, you know, <laughs> the last. <Yeah. laughs> um, but, you know, my plan for, for next year is to definitely still, like, I'll, I'll have a drink because I, it's nice, you know, like, if you do it in a, in a good way, it's, um, you can have a lot of fun, right? It loosens the crowd up and you can just, you know, a lot of great relationships are built when, when you drink. But if you have to have a healthy relationship with alcohol, right? So I think what I'm going to do next year, or actually, I know what I'm going to do, um, is, you know, generally we're in the areas that, that, that we do business. Um, school holidays is like when the marketplace sort of, you know, goes on a break for a couple of weeks. And then when people come back from school holidays, everything kicks back off again. So I'll break my year into four quarters. Um, and, you know, from school holidays to school holidays, I work, no booze, no nothing. And then at the end of the quarter, I'll go on a holiday to break my year up. And when I'm on holidays, I'm allowed to have a drink and enjoy my time. I've got no, 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 no work responsibility while I'm away. Um, you know, yeah. relax, de-stress. And then mate, when I'm back at work mode, um, again, it's completely sober again. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like Some, you're, um, yeah, carry on. Something I'm really interested in, in picking your brains with Jack and also yourself, Kevin, is I want to see what your guys' thoughts are on, on the idea of manifestation and how you guys go about setting a goal, being present in the moment and fulfilling, I guess, and achieving results. I, I mean, I'm, I'm quite curious to see what your both thoughts on this who do you want to go first mate you want kevin to have a crack or do you want me to have a crack <laughs> mate go for gold um, mate being being present in the moment is very hard you know like it's very easy to get to get caught up in life you know like you click your finger it's eight o'clock the, in the morning now you click your finger and before you know it, it's eight o'clock at night you know and you're like where the fuck did the day go um so it's very very hard to be present 
at all times for myself it's very hard to be present at all times because you get so caught up in doing the daily activities um but i think it one of the big things is just obviously reflecting on where you are right because like i said you know let's what, what month is it now september it's like man i remember yesterday it was january i was opening this office in paddington we had no furniture and you know we were laying on beanbags out the back and all of a sudden it's eight months <laughs> down the track and all of this stuff's happened in between so it's important i think to to be present in that way and to go you know appreciate how far you've come and all the stuff that you're doing um and make manifestations huge like you know i i think if you just if you just think about Hey, I want to do this. Then nothing's really going to fucking happen, right? But if 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 you're so um, obsessed with a goal and, and a desire that you're thinking about it constantly, and you're always you know inspired by things that relate to it, then what happens, I believe, is that your daily actions start to reflect that. So it's not it's not the it's not the imagination that just fucking miraculously makes you know makes things happen. Um, it's the fact that you're so obsessed with something that subconsciously you start to do things that bring you closer, you know, to it. Um, and mate, like every, I look back through my life, every or every goal that I've set, every every you know thing that I've wanted to do or wanted to buy or, or you know experience that I've wanted to do, mate. The reason that it's happening or happened is because you, you just get so obsessed with it. You know, everything is just about making it happen. So that's all the little one percenters that you do on a daily basis. And, and then you go, fuck that just, just miraculously happened, but it was all the work that you did to, to get there. So mate, mates, yeah, it's, it's massive, huge, no, but it's not much good going, Hey, I want to lose weight or Hey, I want to be the fittest I've ever been or Hey, I want to, you know, write 3 million GCI and fucking sit on the lounge and eat hamburgers and not pick up the phone. You know, that's not manifestation doesn't work like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Like I've, I've um, read a couple of books from Esther Hicks and a couple of other people about law of attraction and it sounds really good and it is really good. However, I, I think people get it misconfused and they think, okay, we're going to set out our vibration and the universe will repay us with our listings and sales. So I don't think it works like that. I think it's very, very much the same as Jack here where you obsess over it, you visualize it, it you're, you're literally manifesting your actions. You're not manifesting the result, you're manifesting the actions which drive to the result. Like even I, I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment right now, me and my partner where um, this apartment just came up, came up for sale and I drove past it, I'm visualizing it going and I started obsessing over it as soon as it hit online and it drove me to the actions to the point where I bugged the property manager so much I got in that day and secured it so it's it's funny thanks man it's a funny thing yes you're manifesting it but you're not manifesting the result i think you're manifesting the actions which produce the result so i've got a question for you guys then so for example someone like myself who's fresh into the buyer's agent space to really hit some results where do you feel my energy and thoughts need to be is it in my daily activities or is it energy management? Bit of both. Yeah, mate. I, I I don't know what. I think everyone's different, right? Like my my the way I sort of manifest or, or you know set my goals is at the start of every year, and I've done this since two thousand and uh, two thousand and eighteen or seventeen, I think. When, when I went first time, I went to Dubai. I wrote, wrote my first list of goals and every single year since I've just added to the bottom of those goals. So I've, you know, over the course of my life, I'll have every single year's goals and, and the ticks or crosses, whether I hit them or not. Um, 
Yeah, but that's my thing. I just set them at the start of the year. Like, what are my 10 biggest things that I want to hit? Um, and some of them are personal, some of them are business related, some of them are fitness related. Um, and mate, like, yeah, you, you, you're, all your focus is on those things. And, and as, as a result of that, or as a consequence of that, your daily actions reflect that, which obviously built on that. I feel, yeah. Yeah. And the more you put things out to the world, I, th- I believe that. Like I'm, I'm a big sharer. So I share a lot of my goals and my visions with people who want to listen and people who don't want to listen. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, for me personally, every time I've done that and I've done that now since I was sort of 17, 18, like I've always said, like, I'm going to have this big portfolio. I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to build this business. I'm, you know, and I you talk about it and tell people. And again, I, I feel like that really helped one because it makes you accountable to it and two you know it's just weird something universe does something in terms of your goals what's your like obviously you're still buying or you will plan to buy more properties what's your philosophy around what to buy or where you buy or or anything from an, inve- from an investment yeah. perspective yeah. yeah yeah man so i take um i take like it's a few different, but like my, my, I'm, I'm a big Warren Buffett fan. Um, and you know, his philosophy is very blue chip, very long term, And he believes that if you buy something, he's obviously investing in businesses, but if you buy a business, it should be a business that regardless of what happens in the marketplace tomorrow, you would never want to sell it because you have so much faith in it that mm. it's the best, it's the best in the world. So I'm the same with property, right? Like with property, I, I, want to buy a property that regardless of what happens in the economy, what happens in the world, it's a property that you've got so much faith in that you, you'd never sell it because it's always going to perform over the long term. Um, and for me, that's generally, you know, blue chip property. I happen to work in the Eastern suburbs and the Eastern suburbs happens to be one of the best markets in Australia. So, you know, I've got quite a lot of property here, um, you know, and, and, and same in Newcastle, we've got an office up there and I, I own some property up there. So, you know, they're, they're suburbs that have, you know, a huge amount of affluence. People have very high incomes who can can afford to, to pay increasing prices for property because they are controlling their own incomes. They're either business owners or executives. Um, there's a huge lack of supply and there's no more land to build on because a lot of these areas are sea locked or landlocked um, and the properties that are there are all there is ever going to be. And... Um, you know, there's a, there has to be a big element of scarcity to them, right? Because, you know, we're sitting in Paddington right now and there's probably 3,000 terraces in Paddington, for example. And, you know, if you just buy a terrace in Paddington, then it's only going to perform as well as the suburb or the average of the suburb. But, you know, when you're buying property and when you're spending money and taking risks, you don't just want to buy something that performs like the marketplace. You want to generally buy something that outperforms. Um, so it's making sure it's got scarcity elements to it that not a lot of the other properties have, right? Um, mm. And good scarcity, not bad scarcity. Right, being on a main road with no sunlight, no parking, and no, and you know, dark and noisy—it's probably not the scarcity we're looking for. Um, but you know, having great views, being on a good street, being quiet—like all the things that are desirable, um, and the things that do drive emotional buying—that that's generally mm. what you invest in. Yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah. Cool. How did you um? How did you save your first deposit? Because obviously, you bought extremely young. How did you work that out? I got expelled from school at 15, brother, and I had nothing else to spend my money on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't drop out of school and go, I'm going to buy a property at 18. Like I dropped, I got booted out of school at, like I said, 15. And I had three years to, to save a deposit, right? And I think, I'll, I think when, I, when I went into construction, I was just a labourer. And 
regardless of how old you are as a laborer, you get paid the same. So I think I was probably on like 70 or 80 grand a year, something like that. And I had no expenses because I was living at home with mum and dad. I was too young to own a car. Xbox games are 60 bucks. Um, there wasn't a lot to spend money on, right? So if you take it home 12 or $1,300 a week, um, you know, mm. you, you spend 300 of that and you're still saving a thousand. So it doesn't take long for cash to start stacking up into your bank. And, you know, I still bought other shit. I still bought a car when I, when I got to the age that I could buy a car and, went on a holiday and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it's like, you know, it doesn't take long for you to save up. Then when I got to 18, I had this big chunk of cash in the bank. And as most responsible parents do is like, hey, you've got this money. Let's let's do something with it and not just piss it up against the wall and go to Europe for six years. Let's, um, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's buy a property. And you've essentially bought the most expensive thing you'll ever buy in your life. And, you know, you can do whatever you want then. And at that point in time, I didn't have this vision for this huge, you know, property portfolio and, and business um and mate that's where the that's where the passion really started from cool yeah it's a lot easier i mean it's a lot easier when you when you have very low expenses to buy property right like when you don't yeah. have commitments and kids and rent and car loans and all the other shit that comes with it it's a lot easier but in, in the same sense you know my brother bought his first property t- two years ago last year or the year before i can't remember what year it was um and mate he he you know, he's, he's someone who has a, has a wife, has, had two kids at the time, um, you know, didn't earn like a significant amount of money, just the average Australian income. He's in construction as well. Um, and mate, he made sacrifices. Like he moved out of the rental, he moved back home with mom and dad with kids. You know, he spent 12 or 18 months there, um, saved all of his pennies and the pennies looked after the pounds and the government's great in Australia. And they had the whole, you know, 5% deposit, no lenders, mortgage insurance and all the rest of it. And mate, like sacrificed for that 12 or 18 months, which is a, fucking small amount of time to, to have a property and you went and bought a property. So cool. in my eyes, if he can buy it, you know, any, anyone can, mm. anyone can buy a property. There's a lot of people whinging mm. and it's so hard to get in. It's so expensive and all the rest of it. And again, I think that that comes down to two things. It's so expensive if you can't afford what you want. So, you know, be real with yourself and have your expectations in line with what your budget can, can afford you. And you have to start somewhere. Um, and again, you make sacrifices to be, to be able to do it. And if you don't want to make the sacrifices, then, you know, keep, keep whinging and doing what you're doing. <laughs> Mm. Jack um, I've got a question for you like I myself bought my first investment at 19 as well quite young but I guess what I get asked quite a lot as well and I'm sure um, a few people will be interested to to get your view on is where do you think they should be investing first is it property their business themselves you know where's the starting point for them and I guess what should they be aiming for good question man like it's, there's no right answer. You know, there's no right or wrong answer. Like, you know, ask Mark Zuckerberg and I bet you he didn't buy a property before he started Facebook. You know? <laughs> He's a lot more successful in quotation marks than I am. So it's, it's, it's different for every single person. You know, like I think if you're a normal Australian, if, if that's what you want to call it and property is something that most Australians want to buy, then mate, I would, I would, I would do that straight away, you know, if especially is the younger you can get your money into the marketplace, the more time compound is going to do its thing. Um, but again, at the same point in time, like if you've got 50 or hundred grand and you've got this incredible idea to start a business, you know, if you, if you start a good business, the business is going to make you a shitload more money than, than what property is going to make you for like passive property where you just buy and hold. Um, so it, it's, it's just what, what they're passionate about, right? Like I, I bought property, 
and I've started a business and that property has actually helped me with the business because as you get equity, you can start using that equity for, for working capital in your business and, you know, all these other things. And as your business is growing, so is your property. And I know so many people, like so many people who have incredible businesses, but don't own real estate. Um, mm. So it's, I think it's something you've got to do in parallel. Mm. Great. Um, I guess with yourself, when you were trying to save, did you find it hard with obviously being at that age group, everyone's going out? Did you just strictly not go out? Like what's your advice for younger guys and girls that are trying to save that first deposit? Mate, I loved going out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I loved going out. So like I said, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no different to any other person, you know, like mm. I'm, I'm no, I'm not this person who's had a sheltered life and saved all of his pennies. And like, mate, I, I had a, I still have a great life. I spend a lot of money on enjoyable things and that's what life's about. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I guess I was fortunate enough that I didn't start saving when I was 18 and I could go out. I had two or three years of saving behind me already. Mm. And mate, the, the, the hardest thing to do is just to get that first deposit because as soon as you have bought the first property, Mate, all the, the property does your, your savings for you because as it's growing, you're building, you know, equity and, and that's essentially your forced savings account. So, yeah. you know, now that I've got, you know, five or six properties now behind me, like that every single year the market grows is doing my savings and the cash that I'm earning, I then can dump back into the business and spend yeah. on personal things. And I mean, look, you can go as hard as you want, right? I could be, I could be putting all my cash back into property plus having the property grow and, you get things faster, but I think it's a balance. Mm. But mate, at the same at the same time, like you know, you never you're 18 to 26 once in your lifetime, right? Like when those when those years mm. of your life pass, then you're never getting them back. So I think mate, you need to enjoy that shit. Life's long, you know, like mm. life's very long. So it's not much good yeah. having all this money and getting fucking having a heart attack <laughs> at 31 and not living yeah. <laughs> or, or or something else. I think it's about having a balance and um, doing what feels yeah. right to you. Yeah. And where do you see buyers, like first home buyers or, or any buyers in general, what, what mistakes are you seeing them make in the buying process? Mate, yeah, it's a lot. The most like, common ones. The, the number one thing is that people don't understand what they can afford. That is the biggest mistake in the property market. Like mm. regardless of how sophisticated or first time buyer you are, most people want a property that they cannot afford. Mm. So, you know, real estate agents generally, like in the current marketplace, their guide prices are not accurate. Majority of real estate agents. We know that. It's just normal. It's a normal part of the marketplace, but a lot of buyers don't know that. You know, so they're, they're basing their pricing judgment off a, um, off a guide price and generally they're, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30% out. Um, and mate, they just they they keep chasing properties they can't afford, show up to an auction, get blown out of the water, and they do it over and over and over again. And it's very very easy to to pass the buck and say, oh, real estate agents guide low, and they shouldn't be guiding this, and blah 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 blah. Everyone you know loves pointing the finger and not taking accountable for their own actions. But mate, if you're spending this type of money on fucking anything, regardless if it's a property or not, like if you're spending upwards of three quarters of a million bucks on something, and you haven't done your research to understand what things are actually worth. It's your fault. No one else's. Yeah. Like that's the reality. You know, like I, I speak to people on a daily basis who are looking for six, 12, 18 months and they blame, oh, real estate agents guide mm. too low and we keep going to auctions. I say, like, hey, well, like it's, mm. it's a reoccurring thing here. Like it's, it's mm. your fault. 
So yeah. mate, the number one thing is like, understand your product, understand your marketplace, mm. know what things are selling for. And, you know, with that information, you can then get out there and actually look at things that are within your price bracket and you can afford. Because, you know, the reality is, Buying is buying is not that hard if you know what you're doing. There's a lot of people who do it by themselves. And you know, if, you, if you're real with what you can afford and you're looking at properties, there's always properties for sale in a, in a, in a price bracket. And you're looking at things you can afford and, you're, and you go, yep, this is what I can afford. This is what my budget will allow me. I'm happy with that. Um, but it's very easy to buy. You get out there mm. and, and you buy. Like, especially if you're buying in Sydney, it's very hard to overpay. Yeah. Um, especially when things are on the market. Like, you generally got multiple buyers. Um, buying for the property um, but yeah I mean that, that's probably the biggest thing and then the second thing man is like you know working against real estate agents and not with them you know makes it very very difficult you know real estate agents are essentially the gatekeeper to, to your property so not having a good relationship with them is not going to do you any justice it's going to do yeah. you a lot of injustice um, and um, mate, yeah I, I honestly that that's the biggest thing like the, the big ones, biggest yeah. thing is just like people are unrealistic with what they can afford they have yeah. champagne taste and they have a beer budget. And <laughs> mate, yeah. yeah, the market unfortunately doesn't care about what you want and what your budget is. Like they, it dictates yeah. what things are worth. So, I um, mate, yeah, I, I, I talk to people all the time and I'm just like, well, yeah, that's so your Jeff, what are some, <laughs> what are some ways buyers in the market can look to maybe substantiate value or align their, sh- their beer budget with a beer property? Yeah. Well, mate, like the, the biggest thing is, is like I said, understanding the market that you're in and you can spend four weeks doing research, getting out there, going to auction, seeing what they're selling for, how many bidders are at the auctions, you know, collating all of that data and going, okay, over the last four weeks has been 10 properties sell. You know, it seems to be anything over 400 square meters of land with parking selling for north of four and a half million. So, you know, we're, our budget's only four, three. So very unlikely we're going to get that, right? So things that are selling between three and a half and four are in this price bracket. So this is where we really should be targeting. Like, you know, so it's understanding what things are selling for. Like, you know, in, in the eastern suburbs, we've got semis, we've got freestanding houses, we've got apartments, we've got townhomes, we've got duplexes, you've got things with parking, without parking, you know, busy roads, quiet streets, um, you know, by the beach, by the park, all of these different things. So it's, it's that made it's very, it's very easy to do. You know, people spend more time fucking researching Netflix than they do for researching their property. Um, you know, so just, just understanding that and then going, okay, well, this is, this is the, the budget range that we have. This is, this is out of the last four weeks I've been looking. These are the, like I said, 10 things that have sold within that price bracket. What do all of these properties have in common? Where are they located in the suburbs? Great. Well, this is what we need to be targeting and be okay with that. Don't look at something that sold for 4.7 and then go, we've got 4.3. But if it, oh, if it just had one less bedroom and it was just on a busier road, we'd be able to get it. Like, no, that's not going to happen, mm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. And, and then you go out there and you, 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 you build some relationships with agents. You be real with them and you say, hey, this is, this is what my budget range is. This is what I'm looking for. Do you think it's achievable? Yeah, it's great. Okay, great. Well, when you've got something similar, let me know. And then talk to that agent once a week and then go mm. to open for inspections and, you know, read blog posts and watch YouTube videos and mm. learn how to do it and then go and do it. And if you don't, use someone like us. What are you? What are your thoughts, Kevin? Because you know, being an agent, obviously, if a buyer gives you an indication of their budget, you want to be using that to maximize and leverage to get the highest price for your client. 
Yeah. How can buyers leverage and how can a buyer leverage an agent to position themselves to buy? Um, good question. It's same same thing as what Jack said. It, it comes down to the build the, a building of a relationship. So even still, like I had, a, I've just sold a couple of houses off market around two and a half million dollars in Kellyville, which is you know nearly double the average sale price for the area. However. Um, it was opened up to particular buyers that we already knew that we had a standing relationship with. We've seen them at other properties. Obviously, we know that their, their budget, I know they're keen, they're putting offers down on properties. It's the, it, it's re- the, the buyers that, that seem to struggle are, are right are the buyers that put agents offside, don't answer. Like, I can't help a buyer if they're not going to answer phone calls. Like, I have, I have buyers that get a bit annoyed with me when I sell a property and they go, Oh, well, we didn't know. Well, hey, you didn't pick up my three phone calls. So it comes down to, yeah, just building a good relationship with real estate agents. Like I, I got off the phone to a buyer yesterday and they said, oh, the one thing that we've just realized is the only way you can get yourself into doors off market with other real estate agents is if you actually build that relationship and ask for it. Otherwise, she goes, I, I never would have bought this. And it wasn't for me. It was from a competitor. But she goes, I, I wouldn't have even bought this property um, the other day, if, if I didn't actually ask the agents, it's, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? So making sure you do build that strong relationship with all the local agents that you're working with, not just one, but all of them. Awesome. Oh, Fantastic. It's so true. It's so true. Like mm. relationship, like it's, it's the biggest thing. Having a good relationship with an agent makes it so much easier. And you notice it, you know, generally people, generally people who sell through an agent buy very quickly because that agent helps them yeah you know they'll sell a property yeah. and the reason that they get into the next property so quickly is because you know someone goes oh okay see we sold john and sarah's place they've got now two billion to spend we've just appraised this mate come through bang do a deal see you later yeah in and mm-hmm. out yeah exactly and like i'll i've been obviously on the on the ground with jack and get to see the level of conversation you have with agents do you how did you go about forming such strong relationships with agents to where you're so transparent, where you can have a joke, you can talk about, you know, a property in a lot more details. How did you really, you know, go about doing that? Yeah. I mean, look, the relationships that we have as professionals are probably a lot deeper than what you actually need them as a a general buyer who buys every five to, you know, 10 years. Um, We spend a lot of personal time with these people, right? Like outside of work hours where, going like you know i take i take a lot of my referral partners on holidays and you know we go on the boat on the harbor and you know like we have lunches like all of that stuff and that's because i genuinely genuinely like these people and we get along so well plus it makes doing business a lot easier um you don't need that level of relationship as a normal buyer in the marketplace and that's why people pay us the money that they pay us is because that they want to leverage our relationships right like um you know agents are, are that transparent with us they'll tell us what you need to buy the property, you know, how many other buyers are on it, how many buyers have got X budget. So this is where you're likely going to need to be because John and Sarah and Dave and whoever else they've bid on all these other properties. And we know they've got this amount of money. Like they're not going to tell a normal buyer that, but again, you don't need that as a normal buyer to, to, to do okay with buying. Um, but just, yeah, like, like Kevin said, like just going to open for inspection, showing that you're an interested buyer 
taking advice on board. And sure, you don't want to give them all your cards and say, this is exactly how much money I've got to spend. But you need to give them a realistic budget range. You need to give them an understanding of what you've liked, what you've bid on, you know, what property you've sold and what you're wanting to achieve. And like real estate, I just want to sell properties. So, you know, they can't sell a property without having yeah, a buyer for a property. Yeah. Um, so look, that, that, that's, what I, that's what I would personally do. And that's who I see buyers who actually do buy property are quite successful in doing so. Sweet. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your level of expertise and mate, it's been a bit of fun. Looking forward to smashing the, uh, the rest of the year. Uh, mate, just to wrap it up, last piece of advice for a real estate agent to succeed in the marketplace. Um, mate, I think authenticity and being yourself is, is huge. You know, like, um, I look at someone say like, you know, who works out near, near Kevin, like someone like a Josh Tesla and like, um, mate, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but he doesn't need to be everyone's cup of tea. You know, he needs to be his certain marketplaces cup of tea and mm. you dominate, you know, someone like Alex Phillips, myself, like we're not the same as anyone else. And people like that. Not everyone is going to like that, but that segment of the marketplace is going to like that. And when, when a niche likes you, no one can compete with that, you know, and um, the purple cow is a book written by Seth Godin and he talks about it, about, you know, standing out and being yourself and not worrying about the whole marketplace, worrying about your segment inside of the marketplace, because that's more than enough than you'll ever need. Um, I made it works. Like there's so many people who are the same and trying to be like other people, like, you know, real estate agents. I look at like Gavin Rubenstein. There is only one Gavin Rubenstein and he does it exceptionally well because it is actually him. But when you yes. see people trying to, you know, copy what he does, it's not authentic and it's fake. And that's when it comes across as like a sleazy real estate agent. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, be your authentic self, whether that's an, an outlandish, you know, over the top person, or whether that's just a reserved, normal, down to earth human, like both of those will work. Um, and, you know, you, I think you'll start to see, you'll start to see results because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a human interaction business, right? Like you need to put in the work, but you also need to be relatable to the people that you, you want to do business with. Um, and it's works for me. And then, I, you know, you see all these people who are very, very high performers and it works for them as well. Strong advice. Thank you. Legend. All right, lads. Legend. Thank you. See you, boys. Thanks.